Well, if you have your Bibles with you tonight, let's open up the book of Numbers, chapter 30. Uh, we're going to enter into the, the final section of the book of Numbers, probably wrap it up, probably not tonight, but in another week maybe, as we take a look at uh, really the, the final act of Moses. Now we've got one more book, we'll go through the book of Deuteronomy, which is uh, basically Moses' final messages to the children of Israel before he dies. But as we take a look at, at what we have tonight, we see... Uh, God laying out for Moses how God looks at our vows. Anybody ever make a vow before? You know those New Year's resolutions? Ever make a promise to God? Oh Lord, if you, then I. You know, we, we do those things. When we look at Numbers chapter 30, we're going to see that, that uh, God looks at those things as being rather important. And he desires for his people to have integrity. You'll remember the, the scripture lays out for us not to swear by heaven or, or by earth, but to let your yes be yes and your no be no. God wants us to be men and women of our word, to have integrity. And as we look at this, I think we'll see God's covering for, for you and I as we look. <clears throat> we want to understand the accountability that the Lord expects us uh, to have in regard to our relationship with him. So verse 30, or chapter 30, Then Moses spoke to the heads of the children of Israel, or the heads of the tribes, concerning the children of Israel, saying, This is a thing which the Lord has commanded. If a man makes a vow to the Lord, or swears an oath, to bind himself by some agreement, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Whatever we say... We ought to do. Ecclesiastes lays out for us to pay our vows. The psalmist in the Psalms would say to give up, to render the vows, our vows of praise unto the Lord, that we keep our promises. It's interesting because we don't often think about it while we're singing the song, huh? About what we're singing, about what we're saying to the Lord. But God wants us to be men and women of integrity. Hey, this is what we're going to say, then be that. We talked about that last week when we, when we shared the, the poem of the Fellowship of the Unashamed. Being clear. Who am I? Am I with the Lord? Then, then let my colors be clear. Let people be able to recognize who I am by what I say and what I do, and then I keep my word. That's uh, strange in our land today, and it was strange in the time of Jesus as well. This is how it was strange in the time of Jesus. The Pharisees would say, well, there are binding oaths and non-binding oaths. A binding oath would be like this. If you swore by the temple, that's non-binding. But if you swore by the gold in the temple, that's binding. You remember when we were kids and we did that whole I swear thing, you know? Well, I, I swear by my, my mama or I swear by this or I swear by that. Well, the Lord would say, don't swear by any of that. Just let your yes be yes. It doesn't mean don't take an oath because God expects us to, to have vows. God himself took a vow, didn't he? Jesus gave an oath. The Father gave an oath. So he wants us to be people of integrity. That we are who we say we are. That we do what we say we're going to do. Even if it's to our own hurt, it doesn't matter. Because the reason behind doing it is to honor the Lord. That we're honoring him 
by the vows that we make, fulfilling the vows, standing by the things that we say. Now, verse 3 says, Now, if a woman makes a vow to the Lord and binds herself by some agreement, while in her father's house, in her youth, and her father hears her vow, and the agreement by which she has bound herself, and her father holds his peace, then all her vows shall stand, and every agreement with which she has bound herself shall stand. But if her father overrules her on the day that he hears, then none of the vows nor her agreements by which she has bound herself will stand, and the Lord will release her because her father overruled her. This lays out for us the scripture of headship and begins to give or provide that concept that God gives responsibility to certain people to be a headship, watch over, to watch over and see. If a father heard his daughter make a vow, was a rash vow, something he's thinking, man, that's not good for her to to say, because sometimes we give God rash vows, don't we? You guys remember the, the story of Jeroboam, don't you? Or, or, no, that's not right. But anyway, it'll come to me. It's a J something. J, J, J. Anyway. He makes a rash vow unto the Lord. He says, Lord, the first thing that comes out of my house, I'll give to you as a burnt offering. And when he pulled up to his house, what was the first thing that came out? His little girl. Yeah. I told you it was a J. (laughs) So when we think of that, when we see the vows, what we're talking about He says, listen, if there's a young woman still living in her father's house, she has a headship, someone with whom God has placed a responsibility to watch over her. This is not lording it over her. You guys understand the difference? This is watching over her. And God expects that to those whom he's given the responsibility or the authority that they would be accountable There's more for the father than just having the ability to say, no, no, that vow, honey, that's not a good vow. And and, and release her from that vow. He's got to do it right then. But he also is going to be accountable. He's accountable to her. Why? Because he's her head. And the reality is in every relationship and relationships across the board, we see the concept of headship. There are people that, that have someone over their head in, in every area of ministry. There's a point where someone is over uh, person A, B, C, or D. And they, with that authority, are expected to be accountable for those people's actions. That's what God's laying out here. They're accountable. The father's accountable for the actions of his daughter. Look what he says. If indeed she takes a husband... While bound by her vows, or by a rash utterance from her lips by which she bound herself, and her husband hears it and makes no response to her on the day that he hears, then her vows will stand, and her agreements by which she bound herself shall stand. But if her husband overrules her on the day he hears it, he shall make a void her vow which she took, which she uttered with her lips, by which she bound herself, and the Lord will release her. Again, we see the headship of a father. We see the the headship within the relationship of marriage. Not lording over, watching over. And we need to recognize, men, that that's a responsibility God gives. And within every area that God gives authority, he also makes us accountable. The husband is accountable to God for the vows his wife makes, for the things his wife does... 
for the things his children say and for the things they do. It's not just you have authority, you're the headship, woman submit. That's not what it is. It is your role as a man to, to watch over, protect, guide, spiritually to guide through the word of God, to take that role seriously and to lead our children. Listen, our kids don't need another friend. They need a father. And our, our wives need a, a godly husband in accordance with God's word. Who does what? Who washes her with the water of the word. Who makes her, keeps her clean. Who, who presents her spotless to the world. That's a husband's role with his wife. Sometimes we lose sight of that. But to whom God has given authority, he makes him accountable, responsible for what he does. And for the family overall. Now he's going to go on in this same concept. And and we'll come back to to, uh, these vows in just a second. Also, any vow a widow or divorced woman by which she has bound herself will stand against her. Why? She has no headship. She is now responsible for herself. So she doesn't have that covering, someone to watch over her. So she is to be responsible for her vows. If she said it, do it. If she makes a vow, keep the vow. Goes on to tell us, if she vowed in her husband's house or bound herself by an agreement with an oath and her husband heard it and made no response to her and did not overrule her, Then all her vows shall stand, and every agreement by which she bound herself shall stand. But if her husband truly made them void on the day he heard them, then whatever proceeded from her lips concerning her vows or concerning the agreement binding her shall not stand. Her husband has made them void, and the Lord will release her. Every vow and every binding oath to afflict her soul, her husband may confirm it, or her husband may make it void. Now, if her husband makes no response, whatever to her from day, from day to day, then he confirms all her vows on all her agreements that bind her. He confirms them because he made no response to them on the day that he heard them. But if he does make them void after he has heard them, then he shall bear her guilt. He is going to be responsible for what is done under his headship. That, well, I didn't say anything. I didn't say a word, Lord. I just let her do it. It's, it's her business. The Lord would say, you're still responsible. I don't care if you want to take responsibility or not. You're still responsible. Spiritual headship within a relationship, God looks at and, and considers it very important. If she makes the vow, the husband is the one to make sure the vow takes place. He becomes responsible. The promise is going to be done. It's going to be said. The promises we make, we're supposed to fulfill. We're responsible to take that headship as husbands or as fathers over those within our house to make sure what they say, what they promise, they're fulfilling. And if not, then the guilt's on us, not on them. Because... We are their head. We're their covering. We're to watch over them. We're to make sure that these things are are not only are done, 
but are, are being done according to God's word in a right way. And these are the statutes which the Lord commanded Moses between a man and his wife, between a father and his daughter, in her youth, in her father's house. And I look at this and I find this whole chapter kind of interesting as I, as I look at it and as I read it. And, you know, in light of the concept that all scriptures point to Jesus Christ and they, they have something to reveal to us about him. And when I look at this, I, I was kind of interested in, the, in this concept because the Lord really focuses on the, the daughter or upon the wife and, and the vows that she makes and the one who is to cover her. And then I began to consider it in light of what the Scripture teaches. The Scriptures lay out for us that we are the bride of Christ. And that He is our head. And when we make a rash vow, who is it that is telling the Father, nah, Lord, this is what He really meant. That's what Jesus Christ does for us, isn't it? I mean, the Bible says He ever lives to do what? Make intercession for us. That he takes that role in our life for our vows that we see in the, in the headship of a, of a father over his daughter or a husband over his betrothed, his wife. It's interesting because the Old Testament scriptures declare Israel to be the wife of God and the New Testament scriptures call the church the bride of Christ in both relationships the people who serve the Lord are looked at as women. And I think the picture holds firm all the way through that he is our ultimate head. Does that absolve us of our responsibility? No, it doesn't. It doesn't. One day we give account to the Lord for how we fulfilled the role he gave us. Regardless, mothers... Fathers, husbands, wives. Is it something that affects our salvation? No. Our salvation is sealed in Christ. What does it affect? What we did with our salvation. What did I do with it? What did I do with the gift God gave me? What did I do with the responsibility the Lord gave me? You remember Jesus told a a parable, didn't he? About uh, the talents. To some he gave five. To one. Two. They were responsible for what they did with what they were given. They were responsible for what they were to do with the talent that God gave them. Or in another parable, the money that God gave them. Is that any different for us today? Are we accountable to God for what we do with our money? By the way, whose money is it? It belongs to the Lord. When I tithe, I declare it's all his. I'm giving this. That's a declaration that the earth is his and the fullness thereof. It's all his. So am I accountable for what I do with his money? I think I am. Is it a question of salvation? No, it's not about salvation. It's about, remember the scripture tells us that when we stand before Jesus Christ at the Bema Seat judgment, he's going to cause all our works to pass through the fire. He's going to say, what did you do with the things for which you were responsible What did you do with the time I gave you? 24 hours every day, right? I can spend it any way I want, but I don't get any of it back. Once it's spent, it's spent. What did I do with the funds, the blessings that God gave me? 
Did I honor him? Didn't I honor him? It has nothing to do with did I give it all to the church? What did I do with it? Where did it go? What was it for? What did I do with the responsibilities God gave me in regard to my family? As a mother, to, to, to raise up her children. As a husband, to love his wife. As, a, as a, life to, a wife, to respect her husband. Did we fulfill the responsibility that God gave us? That's what that day's all about. And what we did that was not God's way, what's it? The Bible says like wood, hay, and stubble. What happens when fire hits that? It's gone. But the rest, what happens when fire hits gold? It's pure. When fire hits silver, it's purified. So gold, silver, precious gems, precious stones, those things are made pure in the fire. So those things will be lasting, and that becomes the reward. Well, as we look at chapter 31, we're going to see that same concept carried over. Now, this idea of fulfilling the roles, fulfilling the responsibility for which God has made us. Do you realize that God has equipped every one of us to fulfill a a, a role within the body of Christ? And one day we'll be accountable. Did I fulfill my role? Did I know my call? Did I care about what my calling was? Did I fulfill that calling when I had opportunity? Did I do the things God put on my heart? God worked in me. Am I fulfilling the responsibilities? Am I keeping my vow? Am I laying this out for the Lord? And that's what our heart wants to be. That's how we want to serve the Lord. Now, as we come to chapter 31, it says this. Now, the Lord spoke to Moses and said, Take vengeance on the Midianites for the children of Israel. Afterward, you will be gathered to your people. Moses, this is the last public act you're going to have. I wonder what that feels like. I mean, we don't all know when our death day is coming, right? But for Moses, the Lord says, hey, this is the last thing you're going to do. Take care of the Midianites. Now, does everybody remember what happened with the Midianites? You remember that takes us back to Balaam. Balaam was hired to curse the Midianites. Every time he tried to, he blessed them. And then all of a sudden, as we're going through the scripture, we read about uh, Peor. When the children of Israel started to, to delve into sexual immorality and worship Baal. And we'll discover in chapter 31 why that was. Because Balaam said, well, send your young ladies over there and entice the men. Get them to to sleep with them. Let them open up their chambers to them. And when they open up their chambers, have them bring out their idols and introduce them to Baal. And they went into a period of time where God had to bring a plague against his own people. And because of Balaam's sin, tens of thousands of people lost their lives as a result. So now, you know, the Midianites, maybe they were thinking up until this time, hey, we got to pass. God didn't do nothing to us. We got them. Sometimes we look at things that way. We think, oh, God, God doesn't care what somebody did to so, what so-and-so did to such-and-such. Nothing escapes God's vision. God knows what's happening to his people, and he is the avenger of his people, the one who watches over us. We've got to learn to trust him. What does the scripture say? Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay Why is that? Because he doesn't want us running around with grudges and burdens and issues in our heart that affect who we are, who poisons us, and breaks our relationship with him. So we're called to trust him. 
to put it in his hands. But God's not doing it fast enough. Sure he is. He knows what he's doing. You have no idea what he's doing. We don't even have the ability to understand. Hardly right from wrong. So we got to learn to trust in him. So here the word comes. It's time. Avenge the Midianites. It's time to make them pay. And after this, Moses, this will be the last thing that you do. So Moses spoke to the people saying, Arm some of yourselves for war. And let them go against the Midianites to take vengeance for the Lord on Midian. A thousand from each tribe of all the tribes of Israel you will send to war. How many tribes in Israel? Twelve, mostly. It's a baker's dozen sometimes, huh? But one of those tribes never goes to war. Who is it? Levi. Levi don't fight. Levi's priests. But there's always 12 tribes. Always. No matter how you number them, there's always 12. Every time you go read the tribes, even when the numbering of the tribes, they number 12, how come they number 12? Somebody got left out. Why did somebody get left out? A lot of times, there's something to all that. In this case, a 1,000 from each of the 12 tribes that are able to go to war. That leaves out Levi, leaves in everyone else. Ephraim and Manasseh, remember, are both of the tribe of Joseph. They're split apart here. They become part of the 12. 12,000 man army. How many people? We just read it. How many people did they have to fight? They had six over 600,000 men available to fight. Why did he only take 12? How big was the army they were facing? I don't know. You see, when I study the scripture, I see that God tends to like... 400 to 1 odds. Seriously. When Elijah faces the, the, the priest of Baal, there's only one of him. When the, the, the 300, the brave 300 that went with Gideon, pretty close to 400 to 1 odds. When we look at these things, he sends 12,000. What we're going to find out is the Midianites had five kings over a vast number, a, a, a vast land. And these 12,000 chosen warriors are going to go. They're going to do what God called. But listen, did God tell them to send 600,000 or 12? He told them to send 12. Did, they, did he tell them to think about whether or not that's a good enough number? No, he just said, this is what I want you to do. Do you realize how important it is to take the word of God, act upon the word of God, implement the word of God exactly as God tells us? Well, Lord, I don't agree. Really, that's not necessary for, for your obedience. It is a taking the word of God as God gives it to us, obeying that word, and then experiencing the fruitfulness and the victory from being obedient to what God's called us to do. Well, Jackie, I don't know what God's called me to do. Well, I can tell you this. God's called you to pour the word of God into your life. Are you pouring the word of God into your life? Every single day, do you make time for God's word? Are you devouring that and, and enabling that to be a part of your life? I'll tell you a great way to do it. One year Bible, go through it. You don't like uh, King James, get New King James. You don't like New King James, get NIV. You don't like NIV, trust me, you can find something you like. And read it. 
every single day. And you'll be amazed how many times the scripture you read out of 1 Kings that didn't, you didn't think had anything to do with your day affects your day. Why? Because the word of God is living, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide asunder between the thoughts and the intents of the heart. God's word is living. I want to know your will for me, God. And we, we stare up into the heavens and wait for the voice to come. But he's already said, in times past, I spoke through the prophets. But in these last days, I have finished speaking through my son, who is God the word, the son of God, Jesus Christ. We have what we need on our laps. Are we devouring the word of God? You want to know God's will for your life? Spend time with him. Spend time in his word. Jackie, I read through the book of Numbers and it almost drove me crazy. Good, it's good for you. Ask God, yeah. Ask God to open your eyes. What did the Bible say? The scriptures are spiritually discerned. No one who has the spirit of Christ cannot understand the word of God. It's impossible. It is not possible. We needed to dedicate that time to allow God to guide us. And then as the Lord leads us, do what he asks be obedient he said a thousand from each of the 12 tribes he didn't get 900 from this tribe 800 from that tribe and make it up with the third tribe he took a thousand from each of the tribes i have a a a couple of guys come to my door this morning knock on the door here they are standing there in their suits now i know they're either going to try to sell me insurance or they're j-dubs then they pulls out his Awake magazine. Can I leave a couple magazines with you? Oh, brother, you don't know what you're doing today, do you? <clears throat> but listen, you're going to, to take and twist and manipulate the Word of God. He wants to talk about the 144,000 and that the 144,000 have already been chosen and they're, they're set right now, but you can be part of the group that stays within the kingdom. And I said, well, that's great news. 144,000, that's 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel, right? What? No, you see, here in our Awake magazine, oh, well, that's the problem. I don't care what Awake says. I don't care what the Watchtower says. I don't care what the Book of Mormon says. I don't care about doctrine and covenants or the pearl of great price. I care about the word of God. What does the word of God say? 12,000, each of the 12 tribes. You can't mess it up unless you listen to somebody else. Take what God's word gives us and make that the foundation. Truth can be known in the word of God. We want to accept what God says Follow what God says, and we won't be confused. We won't be confused. You stick to the book. You won't be confused. I pick up something else, I'll get confused. I'll get confused. That's what the enemy does. What we read about in Galatians, right? If I or some other angel come to you and bring you any other gospel, let him be accursed. Other than what's already been given, the word of God, that's it. There is no other place to go. So there was recruited in verse 5, from the divisions of Israel, 1,000 from each tribe, 12,000 armed for war. And Moses sent them to the war. 1,000 from each tribe. He sent them to the war with Phinehas, the son of Eleazar the priest, 
with the holy articles and with the signal trumpets in his hand. Now this is interesting. He sent the high priest's son with him. And he took the holy articles. What's that mean? That means the Ark of the Covenant went. I thought the Ark of the Covenant was never to go to war. The Ark of the Covenant is supposed to go wherever God says to take it. And so Eliezer went. What did he have? The Ark of the Covenant, the holy articles out of the tabernacle, and the signaling trumpets. Remember the trumpets? From the, the trumpets that they sounded at every feast day, the trumpets they sounded when, whenever they were to, to call the solemn congregation together for worship. He has those trumpets. And he's going with the army, man. He's going with the 12,000. And they warred against the Midianites, just as the Lord commanded Moses, and they killed all the males. They killed the kings of Midian with the rest of those who were killed. Ebi, Rechem, Zur, Hur, and Reba, the five kings of Midian. And Balaam, the son of Beor, they also killed with the sword. Remember him? You want to talk about a sad story? Balaam, the son of Beor, stood over the children of Israel, and he began to prophesy over them, and he said, Oh, that I might die with the righteous. But he didn't want to live with the righteous. If you don't live with the righteous, you're not dying with them. Who'd he die with? The pagans. The ones he sold his soul for, remember? He sold his soul. He said, I'll do, I'll do whatever you want for money. He caused people to die because he wanted to be rich. And here he is living with them. And he's going to die with them. It's sad when you look at the, the Numbers chapter 23 when he says, Oh, if only I could die with the righteous. I want to be like these guys looking over the children of Israel. But he didn't want to live with them. He didn't want to follow the precepts of God. He didn't want to follow the word of God. He wanted to do things his own way. And where did he end up? Dying with a pagan, with the lost. Not standing with the Lord. His colors were clear. They're just the wrong colors. And he was killed by those he caused to stumble. The very man he said, send women down in there to entice those guys, those are the guys. Those are the guys who come back now. It's a little sober warning for you and I, slain by the ones he caused to stumble. We'll be careful about the things we do, the things we say, the life we live. Because those people we take advantage of those things are coming back around. They came back around for Balaam, son of Beor, and he was killed by the sword. And the children of Israel took the women of Midian captive with their little ones and took as spoil all the cattle, all their flocks, and all their goods. Now, this is how they did war in those days. The men were slaughtered, the women became their servants. They became slaves of the people by which they were conquered. Uh, we see the exact same thing happening with the uh, children of Israel when they're conquered at a variety of times. They also burned with fire all their cities where they dealt and all their forts. And they took all the spoil, all the booty of man and beast. And they brought the captives, the booty, and the spoil to Moses, to Eleazar the priest, and to the congregation of the children of Israel, to the camp in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho. What's Jericho thinking right now? You think Jericho's a little freaked out? I mean, you've got a camp of people. They can see the walls of Jericho in the distance. Jericho's not stupid. They know they're there. Three million people, that's a pretty good pile of people, yeah? 
They just went out and whooped the five kings of Moab with only 12,000 men. They were delivered from Egypt. They've heard all the stories about how the children of Israel came from Egypt and they're camped outside your city. Yeah, I don't know. Might have been a good time to pack up. They didn't pack up, but I'm imagining that they are there thinking some things. And Moses, Eliezer, the priest, and the leaders of the congregation went to meet them outside the camp. But Moses was angry with the officers of the army, with the captains over thousands and the captains over hundreds, who had come from the battle. And Moses said to them, Have you kept all the women alive? Look, these women caused the children of Israel, through the counsel of Balaam, to trespass against the Lord in the incident at Peor, and there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. Moses is like, why are they still here? Why did you leave them alive? Oh, but we know what we're doing now, so it's okay. Really? And while we're thinking about what they've done and, and why they did what they did, why do we do what we do? Why do we battle over certain sins and then later on we think, well, we can still keep them around? We can still let them be a part of our life. They can still, I'm better now. I'm okay. I can, I can do that. I can go to that place. I can, I can eat that. I can drink that. I can do these things. I'm okay. Really? Why even play with it? I don't understand that at all. Why even play with it? Long time ago, I got over the whole idea of drinking. Can I have a drink? Can I drink alcohol and be saved? Absolutely. Knock yourself out. My only question is, for what? Why do you want to play with it? Why do you want to say, well, what's a big deal? It's okay. The Bible said, Timothy, take a little wine. Every wino knows that verse. The Bible says, take a little wine for your stomach's sake. The scripture tells us not to be drunk. As long as I'm not drunk, it's okay. You're right. I'm not saying that it's wrong in any way, shape, or form. But what I'm saying is, why do we play with it? Because I can show you on a Saturday a room full of people who, who struggle every single day with the concept of trying to get through that day without another drink. And we think, well, it's not a problem for me. Are we being honest? Are we totally honest with that? Maybe for some of us that's true. Oh, I just got a little buzz. What's the big deal? I don't know. Why are you playing with it? Why are you playing? Why are you leaving them alive? Jesus said, if your right hand causes you to sin, keep it. And when you can, when you can deal with it a little bit better, you'll be okay. What did Jesus say to do with sin? Cut it off. Kill it. Reckon the old man dead. Don't mess with it. I always used to tell the kids a story of this guy who had a pet scorpion. Is it, having a pet scorpion a good idea? Is there some problem with it? No. Hey, if you want a pet scorpion, knock yourself out. But one day they had this kid's picture in the paper when his head looked like a basketball. And it was hard to tell where his lips and his tongue were, but they were so swelled up, he couldn't even keep them in his head hardly anymore. What happened to you? I kissed my scorpion. Wow, that's a good idea. And, and the scorpion did what? It did what scorpions do. Yeah. Why play with it? I was just playing with the scorpion. 
Seemed like a good idea. That's what these guys are saying. You see, they're saying, well, it's, we, we kept the women. <clears throat> these are the same women who came over and enticed them to sleep with them. And from that, uh, tens of thousands of men were killed. Well, let's keep them around. They might come in handy. Oh, come on. That's, it's just dumb. But we do the same kind of stuff. There are things in my life that if I allow them to live in my house, to be around me, then they are going to cause me to stumble and fall. But Moses, like being upset with the captains of the thousands, he's like, what are you guys doing? What are you guys doing with them? You're playing around with that which is going to cause you to stumble and fall. Don't play with it. Don't mess with it. Just cut it out. What do you need it for? Why does it have to be around? We shouldn't need it. We shouldn't need any of those things that will, that will cause us to be in a place where we can stumble and fall in our relationship with the Lord. Oh, but I'm okay. Well, what's the Bible say about that? Paul said, take heed. If you think you stand, lest you fall. He who thinks he stands, take heed. I'm okay. I'm good. I got this. Next thing you know, it's got me. That's what sin does. That's the nature of the beast. Don't forget the nature of the beast, of that thing with with which we play, that we think we're going to be okay with. So, in light of that, Moses is upset. He tells him in, uh, in verse 17, Now therefore, kill every male among the little ones, and kill every woman who has known a man intimately. Now, what's the point of this? We're not talking about cruelty. We're talking about cutting off the things that are going to cause you problems. Why would they kill every male child? Because if they leave them alive, they're going to fight them one day. So God says, they're gone. Every woman that was intimate with a man, everyone who lost someone in that thing, why? Because as they're raising their children, what are they going to be whispering in their ears? One day when you're old enough, you need to exact revenge on what was taking place in this. God knows what he's doing. God says, wipe them out. All gone. But see, that's where we struggle, isn't it? That's where we struggle. So so did they. How did they do it? How do you look in the eyes of of that child and say, well, God says you got to go. I don't know. Thankful God hasn't called me to do it. But I know God's commandments are God's enablements. God calls you. He gives you the ability to do what he's called you to do. And we don't know what we're doing enough to argue with God. Oh God, what are you doing? What have you done? This is terrible. This is cruel. Really? I don't know. When that mouse runs across my floor in my house, I'll beat him with anything I can find. I hit him with a, with a, a big old broom. I'll throw an end table at him. Uh, whatever I can get to that mouse. And if I can catch him on a sticky trap, I'm stoked. I got him. I don't like that little booger in my house. Why? Well, you know, mice bring disease, right? I don't want to hunt the virus, do you? I don't want to die because I said, oh, it's such a cute mouse. Well, let's keep a little mousey. Let's live, we'll let him live with our children. 
Oh, he bit my baby's face. What's well, a big deal? You know, I want to make sure he has space in this world. No, sorry. He's gone. God knows what he's doing. And if God says they got to go, they got to go. And they got to go right now. But keep alive for yourselves all the young girls who have not known a man intimately. And that would become, the, the, they would be the servants. They would be those who would uh, serve in, in a variety of families, uh, depending on who, who got whom. And as for you, remain outside the camp seven days. Whoever has killed any person, whoever touched any slain, purify yourselves and your captives on the third day and on the seventh day. You remember we talked about this in the book of Numbers, right? If you touch something dead... You had to be purified. You had to be cleansed. You had to clean yourself. You had to bathe. This is why we didn't see disease in the encampment of the children of Israel because they didn't do the things that other societies practiced on a regular basis. But God said, stay outside the camp. Clean yourself. Clean those whom you're bringing in. Purify every garment, everything made of leather, leather, everything woven of goat's hair, everything made of wood, anything that could hold, anything that was porous, and would be able to hold any kind of disease within it, had to be cleansed before it could come into the camp. Then Eleazar the priest said to the men of war who had gone into the battle, This is the ordinance and the law which the Lord commanded Moses. Only the gold, silver, bronze, iron, tin, and lead, everything that can endure fire you will put into the fire, and it will be clean. And it will be purified with the water of purification. But all that cannot endure fire, you will put through water. What's the point? God's saying everything in our life needs to be purified. How's it purified? One of two ways, right? Fire or water. It's going to be purified one of two ways. Fire or water. What's the, what's the purification by fire? Well, Peter would tell us in 1 Peter 4, 12... That that is the trials we face. The trials are purification of the refiner's fire, right? What does that do to, to gold and silver and these things? It purifies them. It burns away the dross and only that which is pure is left behind. Well, well then what's the, the purification by the water? Purification by the water, that's, that's the truth. That's the word of God. That's what every husband is called to do for his wife. To keep her clean through the word. And Jesus said... Now you are clean by the word I have spoken to you. Thy word is truth. Be sanctified in truth. Being cleansed by the water of the word. So how do we purify the things in our life? They're purified by matching them up with the word of God. Is the word of God, what's the word of God have to say about this? That's, that's it. That's the point. That's the fact. That's it. That, period. End of discussion. Do you realize that right now today, not that this is a big hot-button issue, but right now today in Canada, it is illegal to say that the Word of God declares homosexuality to be a sin. That's illegal. You are a criminal if you say that. But that's what the Word of God says. Period. That's not the only thing that's a sin. Lying's a sin, stealing's a sin, all those things are in the same way. But those same things are on the, the agenda within the bills within our own nation. Those things are going to come up. 
They will be established as law somewhere down the line. It's going to happen. You guide and wash everything, purify everything by the Word of God. What's the Word of God say? Well, I don't really like that the Word of God says that. I'm sorry. It breaks my heart that you don't like that. Still, the Word of God doesn't change the fact that it's true. It's true. What's the point of it all? That we're all sinners and we need to be saved by grace. And I have to acknowledge to God that I agree with Him. You're right, Lord. I'm a sinner. This that I do within my life is sin. And I need to repent, ask for forgiveness, and receive salvation. Does that mean I have to live perfect? No. But I have to acknowledge His Word is truth. Period. That's how things are purified. How pure am I? How do I find out how purified my life is? I find out when a fiery trial comes. Because when the flames go up, brother, you find out real quick exactly where you're at. Spinning on that little potter's wheel, screaming the whole time. Ah! Then we know where we're at. The purification that comes by fire. We know what's gold. We know what really matters. We know what's lasting. We know what's true. We know what's real. And in our lives, just like in these guys' lives, the same things are taking place. We need to realize that God only wants those things that are pure within our life. Meditate on these things. What's that list start with? Pure, lovely, and of good reproach. Does it say meditate on things that are impure? How much time in a day do we spend meditating on impure? On things that are not lovely or of good reproach? You see, it comes right back to the same concept. Trying to keep them women around and say, it's okay. I can be okay with this. No, what says you're okay with that is the old man, the flesh, the desire to sin. And it needs to be cut out. It needs to be taken out of our life. Verse 24, you shall wash your clothes on the seventh day and you'll be clean. And afterward, you may come into the camp. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and said, now count up all the plunder that was taken of man and beast. You and Eleazar the priest and the chief fathers of the congregation and divide the plunder into two parts between those who took part in the battle and who went out to battle and all the congregation. So what's he say? Everybody gets a part of what was gained by the few. Everybody gets a part. All the booty divided into two. Half of it goes to the army. The other half goes to the rest of the congregation of the children of Israel. You know, that still holds true today, right? Who, who does the majority of the work within the body? 10%? Everybody benefits from it, don't they? Sure. I could go through my time in the church and say, you know what? I, I spent my whole life in the church. I never had to do Sunday school class one time. But my kids still got to go to Sunday school. I still received the benefit from it, didn't I? Sure. Just like they did. All the booty divided in two. All that given equally to one half and to the other. Except for the small point that one half was the number of about two and three quarter million people. And then the other was 12,000. What's that translate to? Those who did the work. They received greater reward than those who didn't. 
Those who went to battle received a greater reward. I, I was blown away how much I began to learn. I spent my whole life in the church, in essence, except for 13 years of rebellion. But for the most part, I spent all my life reading the Word, going to Sunday school, being in youth group, going to church, doing all those things. But I didn't realize how radically my life changed when instead of being the one who received, I became the one who gave. As soon as I took a class and I started trying to teach three-year-olds concepts in the Bible, you wouldn't believe how much you learned. You wouldn't believe how much you receive in return. You wouldn't believe how much you grow when we begin to serve. That's what we see here. The ones who served, the ones who did the work, the ones who went to battle, that was 12,000. They got half. The other nearly 3 million people, they split the other half. You don't got to be a genius in mathematics to figure out who got more, do you? The ones who were a part. The ones who were a part of the things that were going on. The ones who, who made it a part of their life. And then he said, Levy a tribute for the Lord on the men of war who went out to battle, every one of them, every one of every 500 of the persons, the cattle, the donkeys, and the sheep. Take it from their half and give it to Eliezer the priest as a heave offering to the Lord. So all the men of what they received, they gave one 500th, and that went to Eliezer, the priest, the high priest, as a heave offering to God. That was an offering that they gave to God. They were called to give one five hundredth. Keep that in mind. Let's take a look. <clears throat> and take it from their half and give it to Eliezer. And from the children of Israel, from their half, you will take one of every fifty. Drawn from the persons, the cattle, the donkeys, the sheep, and all the livestock. And give them to the Levites who keep charge of the tabernacle. So the other half, the nearly three million, they gave one fiftieth. One five hundredth from the twelve thousand. One fiftieth from the nearly three million. Theirs went to the Levites. The others went straight to the Lord. So the Lord, the levy that he laid upon the twelve thousand who served was lighter was less than what he laid on the 3 million who still received the benefit of what the 12,000 did. Now, before we start feeling bad for him, how do you think they gathered up those 1,000 people from each tribe? Hey, we're about ready to go to war. I need 1,000 volunteers. Don't you think that's how they did it? God didn't give them names. Draw out these people. And so the ones who were willing, the ones who served, the ones who did what they were to do, they end up with a greater reward. It's no different than our relationship with the Lord, is it? When we give, when our life is built around serving Him, we receive a greater reward. Is it always money? No, but we receive a greater reward. God will be a debtor to no man. God don't owe us nothing. But He makes sure... That we're not ashamed, disappointed by those. Jesus said, no one will lose father, mother, for my sake, house, home, brother, sister, and not receive more in the kingdom of God. Isn't that what he said? They'll receive greater than that. God says, I'll take care of you. I'll take care of you. 
Live your life for me. Serve me. Now, the scripture goes on to tell us, So Moses and Eliezer, the priests, did as the Lord commanded. The booty remained from the plunder which the men of war had taken. 675,000 sheep. That's how many sheep they took. 72,000 cattle. That's a lot of cattle, by the way. 61,000 donkeys. Is there anything special about those donkeys? Think about it. At least one of them, huh? Balaam's donkey talked, didn't he? There's a talking donkey in there somewhere. I don't know. Could be a pretty valuable asset, huh? Everybody ought to have a talking donkey. (laughs) Sorry. 32,000 persons in all, women who had not known a man intimately. And the half, the portion for those who had gone to war, was in number 300... 337,500 sheep, and the Lord's tribute of the sheep was 675. The cattle were 36,000, of which the Lord's tribute was 72. The donkeys were 32,500, of which the Lord's tribute was 61. I bet one of them was the talking one right there. I don't know, we'll see. The persons who were 16,000, of which the Lord's tribute was 32 persons. So Moses gave the tribute, which was the Lord's heave offering to Eliezer the priest, as the Lord commanded. From the children of Israel, their half, which Moses separated from the men who fought. Now the half belonging to the congregation was 337,500 sheep. Same amount of sheep. 36,000 cattle. 30,500 donkeys, 16,000 persons. And from the children of Israel's half, Moses took one of every 50 drawn from man and beast and gave them to the Levites who kept charge of the tabernacle of the Lord as the Lord had commanded. So they divided it up. The booty goes to those who served when a greater amount. And then the officers who were over the thousands of the army, the captains of thousands, the captains of hundreds, came near Moses. And they said to Moses... Your servants have taken account of the men of war who are under our command. And not one man is missing. You ever heard of a war where there was not one casualty? Not one? You know what this reminds me of? This reminds me of another army that God's going to call. Revelation chapter 7. Only instead of 1,000 from each of the 12 tribes, he's going to call 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes. And they're going to do God's work. And at the end of the tribulation period, do you know how many there are? Still 144,000. Not one lost. Well, these captains, they're, they're the guys, they've been to war before. They understand that this is a miracle. This is something that God did for them. So they come to give a special offering. Therefore... We have brought an offering to the Lord. What every man found are the ornaments of gold, armlets, bracelets, signet rings, earrings, and necklaces to make atonement for ourselves before the Lord. So Moses and Eliezer the priests received the gold from them, all the fashioned ornaments, and all the gold of the offering that they offered to the Lord from the captains of thousands and captains of hundreds was 16,750 shekels. They gave all their gold they gave their lead? Did they give all the pewter? No, what did they give? 
the gold. What was that? That was the best. They gave their best. But it's not shocking, is it? Because these are the ones who were doing the work. These are the ones who went to war. They gave their best to the Lord as a memorial to remember that God brought them all home safe. 12,000 went to war, 12,000 returned. And all the gold of that offering was given unto the Lord. The men of war had taken spoil, every man for himself. And Moses and Eleazar the priest received the gold from the captains of thousands and hundreds and brought it to the tabernacle of meeting as a memorial for the Lord of Israel before the Lord. What happens? They say, we want to make a memory. We're taking this gold to the Lord. And the Lord received that gold, put it inside the tabernacle, and that's where it stayed. A memorial, what God did for them. The other guys, they, they, they didn't fight in the battle. They didn't give a memorial. They were probably bummed. They gave. They had to give more to the Lord. Ah, man, I had to give more people to God than, than those other fellows that fought in the war. I had to, to take a, a greater hit, whatever the case was. There, they didn't come to the Lord and offer their extra. These guys gave all their gold. Do you think their reward was all that important to them? Let me remind you of one more event that is yet to take place. Yet future event. After we stand before the Bema Seat judgment of God and we receive our gold, silver, precious stones, gems, the things for which we receive a reward for what we did for Him with our 24 hours of the day, with our finances, with our service unto God, whatever we receive is going to be laid down at our feet. We'll pick up those crowns, the gold, the silver, and then we'll go to the place called the Crystal Sea. Like the bronze labor, the, the place where everything has been cleansed, only there doesn't need to be a sea anymore. There doesn't need to be water because we're already clean. Why? By the blood of Jesus Christ. We're made clean. We don't need to be washed anymore. It's done. It's perfect. It's finished. But in the middle of the crystal sea, there will be a figure, a person. When we look to him, we will see the lamb as though it has been slaughtered. In all of heaven, one man-made thing. The scars on Jesus Christ. And when we see him, we're going to take all our crowns and we're going to put them at his feet. On that day, when I pass before my Savior who gave everything for me, I don't want to be one of the guys who didn't do nothing. I don't want to be one of the guys who doesn't have anything to lay down. I'm still saved. The Bible says there will be men saved though as by fire. We'll smell like smoke, but we're still there. It's a whole lot better than the alternative. But what will I have to lay down on my Savior's feet? These captains, they brought all their gold, the best they had. We'll realize when we stand before Jesus, how was it that I was able to gain any of them rewards anyway? How was it that I was able to perform for the Lord? How was it that I was able to, to gain victory in these areas of my life? For without me, Jesus said, you can do nothing. On that day, when I passed before God, being made accountable for the five talents that he gave me, 
I'm not laying down an empty plate. I'm laying down something for my king. Something in response. His gift to me, my salvation. My gift to him, well, that's what this life is all about. Putting together my gift for him as a memorial, an offering to Jesus. And one day God's going to say, there'll be a new heaven and a new earth and all this other stuff gone, washed away, it's done. But I guarantee you, in the middle of it all, there's going to be a pile, a memorial for what Jesus Christ did for us. And I will have a part. I don't want to be on the sidelines. Never was the kind of guy who liked that. I want to be in the game. I want to be a part. That means when God makes his call, we got to answer it. We can't just wait. Lord will let us spend our life on the sidelines. He'll let us do it. That just means we have less to give. But he wants us to stand up and be counted. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for this time we spend studying your word, the the truth of numbers, the time in the wilderness, Lord God. The children of Israel come to the end. They're about ready to leave the wilderness. They're about to enter into the promised land. And what is lying ahead? What is yet to be faced in the promised land? Battles. Battles. And on Moses' last great act, what was it all about? A battle. When did the battles end for us? When we see Jesus. Until then, we're called to fight. Paul said, I have fought the good fight of faith. I had finished the race. I have kept the faith. I am finished doing what God has called me to do. Until we can say that, tomorrow holds another battle. And we get time off from the battle when we get to heaven. Until then, we're called to fight. We're called to serve. We're called to give. We're called to be who you've called us to be. Lord God, equip us as your people to do the things that you desire of us. Lord God, help us to fully, completely, utterly surrender everything we are, everything we will be to your hands. So, Father, on that day when we see you face to face, the words we hear is, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we want to hear. That's who we want to be. That's the hero in the story. So, God, we need you. The only way we can do any of the things that we do for you is through you. Lord, may we submit to you. You as our head. May we make our vow to you and keep our vow. Be faithful and ultimately bring all the honor and glory unto you, God, for what you've done for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for that gift of salvation. We thank you for the the blood that was shed for us, the body that was broken for us, the The life that you offer to us is a life that's unstoppable, unquenchable. May we walk in that abundant life. 
May we not be those like those who have no faith, who say, yeah, no, I don't think so. May we be those who say, wherever I put the sole of my foot, you will give it to me. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Lord God, move in our life in a mighty way. Father, be glorified in the lives that we live. May we be abundantly clear to be numbered within the 12,000, the few who were willing to serve, the few who were willing to do. And would would we realize as we do that, Lord God, that's a service we give to you, not to anyone else. That's something we offer to you. And we look forward to that day when you give your appreciation for that service. Until then, we don't need any. We just need you. Lord, be with us, guide us, lead us, direct us in all we do. And we bring all that glory, all that honor, all the majesty unto you. May we point people to Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to close in worship. We invite you to hang out and worship with us. And out in the foyer, I think we got, I don't know, what do we got? Do we got something? We got root beer floats. Oh, my favorite. So hang out and have some root beer floats. God bless you guys. Go in peace. So much.
Cast our crowns before your feet, Lord God. Lord, uh, help us, Lord, that we won't stand there with this wood, hay, and stubble. Lord, that we would have treasures for you, Lord God. Guide us and lead us, Lord. Uh, bless our fellowship, Lord, this evening, Lord. Be with us the rest of the week, Lord. May we de- abide in you the rest of our days, Lord God. In Jesus' name, amen.